what exactly is a Yid Life Crisis is the topic. And um, I want to thank Wendy Aronson and the Jewish Community Foundation of Orange County on a joint venture program. We brought them, Wendy and the, and the, the foundation brought them last night. We brought them today. Uh, the first question I was, I was asked to ask you is, who was there last night? Good. So you know that today's program is completely different from last night. If you weren't offended last night, you will definitely be offended today. Right? It's a completely different program, am I correct? Um, this is Yid Life Unbound. How many of you have actually been to the Yid Life YouTube uh, site to watch some? Okay, so you'll see some that you may have seen, some you don't see. That you will not see, this is not the same stuff you showed last night, right? This is the stuff that Wendy said you couldn't show last night. Okay. Um, the only people I know that walked out last night were the Chabad rabbis, so... That was staged. They did yell, shame on you, as they walked out. I, I heard that. Did I use your joke? I'm just, I'm getting people ready. You know, if you go to those shows in New York, Tal, if you go to like, there's a warm-up, that's me. You haven't been to many CSP events, have you? This is how it works. It's my time. I got four more minutes. So how do we tie into the legacy event from last night? Because um, we are part of the legacy program and we have over 100 people in our CSP legacy um, cohort. We are by far the smallest group by numbers in the program. We are not as big as any synagogue, but we have one of the biggest legacy programs. So it's amazing. So for all of, the, all of you who are part of our legacy team, thank you. All of, these, all of the, those of you who are not part of our legacy, please consider joining us. We will not hurt you as mentioned last night. You will live longer. You will hold on to your money. But the good thing for us is that since we're part of this legacy um, cohort and program, we get um, funds for as we grow. And so right now we are on, uh, we, ha we have open to us a $1,500 grant as if we grow our program. So if you join us, it's, it's if you're giving us that money and you're giving us nothing from your own bank account, that's great. So um, please consider joining us, help us grow, and um, that's the connection to last night's program. Also, I know where you all live. I have your addresses, <laughs> phone numbers, emails. So just take that into account if you don't join. If you're listening to our podcast, uh, please support us with making a donation at www.occsp.org. I know you're laughing, but people actually listen to us all around the world, and people have sent in checks to CSP. So thank you for those of you who've done that. And uh, I wanted to thank our checking team. Who helped with checking today, Davida? Was it the usuals? Ada. Ada and Rosella, thank you guys. Um, upcoming programs. So I'm gonna mention a few upcoming programs that are CSP programs and are CSP adjacent programs, i.e. somehow related to CSP, and uh, even though we may not be the ones organizing them. Uh, the first is that the JCC this Sunday, uh, I guess it's the opening of its cultural arts program. Uh, you should know this year CSP is a part. We are a donor in the cultural arts program, um, which means that for some of our programs coming up, you've got to pay attention because we'll be across the street again. So we'll be here for bigger programs, there for smaller programs. It just depends on the size of the room. This program required a bigger room. Anyway, we are donors uh, and part of the Culture Arts Program. There's a whole slew of programs. One I wanted to mention was Tom Segev, 
who's a, a leading historian and one of Israel's most distinguished journalists, will be at the JCC. I believe it's 3 o'clock on Sunday. He'll be talking about his new book, uh, 4 o'clock. Um, a State at All Costs, the story of David Ben-Gurion. Why do I mention that? Because we, CSP, are going back to Israel with Rabbi Spitz and with CBI uh, and with the Jewish Community Foundation. A year from now, we'll be in Israel, and one of our programs is we'll be in State Boker trying to understand the history and the vision and reality of Ben-Gurion. So if you're coming on our program to Israel, Shulkoff, you should still go to this thing, um, go and hear um, the program this Sunday with Tom Segev. And if you're not coming with us, you should still go to the program. Um, CSP uh, next week, Rome and the Jewish Imagination with Daniel Stein Koken. That is because we'll, we'll be across the street. We have limited space. We have about four spaces left. If you'd like to join us for that program, please register before we're sold out. Um, our good friend, Liav Sofer, um, is bringing a choir of homeless people to urban, uh, it, for a program uh, entitled Urban Voices Project. It'll be at Congregation of Israel November 2nd. Uh, it's an amazing program. Some of you, I think, heard the program at University Synagogue and maybe at another location. So it's another opportunity to support what Liav is working on. He's a good friend of ours. Please come and support it. It's free? free. Wow, guys, free. That's, okay. Were you giving them food too? Okay. You, you just go by, you just go by uh, Andy Esther house either before or after the event and they will feed you as well. So it's an awesome, awesome opportunity. Um, Glenn Kurtz will be speaking at Chapman University on November 7th. Ties into our recent trip to uh, Lithuania and Poland. It's a, it's a community interfaith service in remembrance uh, for Kristallnacht. Glenn is the author of Three Minutes in Poland, Discovering a Lost World in 1938 Family Film, uh, which was selected as the best book of 2014 by The New Yorker, The Boston Globe, and National Public Radio. So um, that would be a great community program to attend. Another community program that we are participating in this year, and um, I consider it a personal challenge, is the Chalabake. It's the uh, Mega Chalabake, which is November 14th. We will have a CSP table this year, and um, Joyce Pius and Gail Reisman, I don't think they're here, is Joyce no, again? Are our table captains, and they told me that we have a pathetic sign-up from CSP. <laughs> pathetic. They are embarrassed. They're gonna join another competing Jewish religious educational organization unless you sign up. Yeah, they're going to join. I'm not going to say that. That's... So please sign up. And, and when you sign up, register for the CSP table. Here's the advantage. We're buying you kosher wine and snacks. No one else is doing that. Sign up. Join our table. You'll like it. I, anybody involved in the Mega Chalabay? Because there's a question in the audience. Can men go to the Mega Chalabay? No. no? I don't know. They're sexist. Okay, sorry, men. Just women. Two other quick programs, because I know I'm boring you. Um, well, I'm not boring you. I know I'm entertaining you. Uh, David Moster will be in town for a, uh, two programs. The first, uh, the one, the CSP program is on November 21st, a lunch program. The Etro, how a Chinese fruit became a Jewish symbol. As most of you know, we were carrying those around last week. But I think you'll be amazed to find out where they come from, which is, well, I guess they come from China. But how did they get to Israel? How did they get to our tradition? Come and find out. The night before, he'll be talking at Congregation B'nai Israel. I put the flyer out. Was the book of Proverbs written by an Egyptian? So you get two programs with him, CSP and CBI joint venture. Another, one, another joint venture, December 11th, uh, two-part mini-series with Richard Freund. Who came with me to Lithuania? Anybody here from Lithuania? So Richard Freund is the, uh, is the archaeologist who was in charge of the dig of the great synagogue in Vilnius. Um, he will be here 
Um, our CSP program is on the 12th. It's a lunch program and it's uh, archaeology and the Holocaust and how he used his archaeological tools to make the major discoveries in Lithuania and in Eastern Europe. Um, the night before at CBI, uh, again, the, there's a flyer out there. Uh, the topic is Rabbinic and New Testament Archaeology, the top 10 discoveries of the 21st century. Okay? A lot going on. Um, of course, our annual program is our one-month scholar in residence. This year, our 19th annual one-month scholar is going to be Paul Lips, Professor Lips from Israel. We're, it's a, we're dedicated in honor of uh, Roz and Elliot Vogelfanger. I, I saw Roz. Elliot's not here. And um, the overall theme for the month is Fulfilling the Dream, the Fascinating Story of Modern Israel. The topics are challenging. They really encompass all aspects of, of Israeli culture and um, the story of the people that make up Israel. So I hope you enjoy the month. You'll be getting the brochure soon. I emailed all of our CSP members already saying that we have three three-part classes that are very unique. And um, I wanted to see if we, so we could sell out with just our members, and the answer is yes. So if you're not a member of CSP, those will be sold out, but it's a good way to become a member and get into those classes. You'll be getting an email about that. A challenge I have is uh, we may have to move the location because just in our membership alone, we have close to 60 people that have signed up for each of the classes. So stay tuned. If you are a member and haven't signed up, please do that because then I know whether I can open up to the general public. Right now, I don't think we're going to do that. CSP travel a year from now will be in Israel for our third um, CSP trip and adventure. Each adventure is completely different. I hope you will join us, although the group is very large this year. We have 76 people joining us. We have room for two more couples. We have two rooms left. It is a very uh, interesting adventure. I have the program if you want to see it, if you haven't seen it. Uh, we're looking at a boutique art trip, a smaller one the following year to Israel. Italy in December 2021. And then, of course, since Jamie and Ellie are here, um, Montreal, 2022. Is that okay, guys? Yeah. That, are you guys sleeping? Is that okay? No, yeah. Is there enough to see there? How many days for uh, Jewish Montreal? Can we? Three days. Fine. Okay. So maybe we'll do Jewish Montreal. Maybe these guys will curate it. If you think they're funny and they're willing to come, maybe they'll meet us there. I don't know. Um, you live there, so we may just see you on the street. Okay. Yes. I, well, I, I think I started a few days ago. CSP cap challenge. Have you ever CSP hat? Like uh, Cliff Cornell, wear it and send me a picture. Recent pictures come from the Sahara Desert, uh, Penobscot Bay, Maine, uh, all over Europe thanks to the Cornells. Uh, boy, uh, some really interesting locations. Please uh, know we are recording right now. Turn off your cell phones, put it into uh, um, vibrate mode. And then you guys are going to talk about yourselves, so I'm not going to do... I'll do a general intro and then you'll take over. Uh, so this is just from the materials that I sent you. In the summer of 2014, Jamie Elman and Ellie, how do you pronounce this? But, but it's French. Battalion, not battalion. Battalion? Battalion. It's Polish. Set off to pay tribute to the Yiddish language, culture, and comedic tradition they'd been reared on. Calling Yid Life Crisis, they hatched the world's first Yiddish sitcom exploring modern Jewish identity with a mix of comedy, inclusiveness, and abyssal, which means a bit of irreverence. And um, as I mentioned before, today's program is rated uh, high plus. You've been warmed, and the, the city of Irvine is requiring me to read the following, and then we'll get started. This event is a private reservation event and is not endorsed or sponsored by the city of Irvine. Anything Jamie 
or Ellie may say that may offend you, please do not sue the city of Irvine. Thank you. With that, please join me in welcoming Jamie and Ellie for their second program in Orange County. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the city of Irvine, let me start by saying, that's yours. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 So let's uh, <clears throat> let's let's begin here. Uh, I'm going to say something, and I'm going to expect a particular response from y'all folks. Shalom aleichem. Okay, see, that's good. I don't think last night people no. were really no, catching on. they didn't on. understand. But can we just make sure that you're fully, fully awake? What he said was, Shalom Aleichem! Okay, right. So, uh, and, um, sorry, Ari, you didn't tell them we're doing the whole, the hour in Yiddish, right? You told it's them. It's all that. schmutzy yeah. and yeah. all you in all, Yiddish. We were told all of you were mamalosh and Yiddish speakers, right? Fluent? The translation is under your seats, though. You oh. can consult that with the, uh, the bencher as well. Gra- yeah, the benchers are not really there, man. The bencher is under your bench. He was hitting. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we are uh, Yid Life Crisis. I'm very glad to, uh, first of all, see such a, a robust and wonderful and diverse audience uh, coming out here this afternoon at the fine hour of 12.30. So we appreciate that uh, very much and appreciate the many of you that came last night to experience us in that context. This is obviously a more... Uh, intimate context, you could probably up here smell us, or potentially, you're and you're welcome, uh, or, or, or uh, you know, you're in the spit zone as it happens, we'll try to walk a little bit backwards. And we don't mean Rabbi Spitz, damn it! Where is the spit zone, damn it, where is Rabbi? Every time we say Rabbi Spitz, we're going to say damn My it. namesake, Ellie. If you get it, you get it. If you were there, it's now legendary. You had to be there. Ask about it later, damn it, it's Ex- a great sermon. We won't go into too many it details. Was great. Yes, it was a great sermon. Okay, Judaism, we're passionate people. Chazaku Baruch. You know? Okay, and also, yes, Ari told us specifically to be as obnoxious as po- uh, to be as open with you as possible yes. Yes. today because, yes, we are high plus, okay? Like he said. That's right. So we may denigrate the city of Irvine in Yiddish at any given point, so just be prepared. That's right. Now, for those of you, we saw some hands. Thank you for coming last night. Those of you that came, thank you to those of you who have seen us before. Some landsmen here have seen us online. Uh, For those of you that have not, we're going to tell you a little bit of our story today, uh, and we also ask forgiveness post Yom Kippur for the jokes that we're going to repeat from last night. But this is a different thing than last night. Uh, What's wrong? Can you see everything okay? Okay, no, okay, no. I t- we're very uh, sensitive to kvetching. That's right. We also, we got to make sure everyone ate, everyone's eating, you yeah. can keep eating. We're professional. What are you eating? Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're okay, actually fine. attentive. This okay, is, this is horrible. Okay, actually paying okay. attention. We better start saying something. Oh okay, look, goodness. for those of you who have not seen our show, just real quick as a big, as a, as a primer, we don't like to sound too obnoxious or, or, or arrogant about this. Our show has been called, our web series for the web, has been called one of the top 50 Yiddish web series in history. And our work has been called the most important Yiddish work, one of the top thousand things to happen to the Yiddish language in the last thousand years. It was said by us. No one else has said that. Um, But uh, we would like to share with you our story uh, a little bit today. The story is basically, what is a Yid life crisis? How is it the two guys from Montreal in their, let's call it, mid to late 30s. I like that. Who are atheists and secularists, 
created the world's first Yiddish sitcom for the web, and we now have three million views and are self-proclaimed international Jewish icons. <laughs> self-proclaimed, thank you. Self-proclaimed, again. Self-proclaimed. Um, so and now part of the Community Scholar Alumni Program. That's right. That's right. Again, on behalf of the city of Irvine and communities... Never mind. Okay, so... So, uh, I guess we can begin. Perhaps we want to field some questions. Is there anyone... I mean, this is a Jewish event after all. So you can start by asking questions and just derail this whole thing. We know half of you And then we'll go have, down that tangent. Right. Half of you have questions already. When is this over? What are you serving? Yeah. Is there a nosh afterwards? So, we, we did a talk recently where we thought, you know what, if there's enough Jews in the room, we really should not torture them like this. The Jews have been tortured enough over the last 5,000 years. Let's just say, does anyone have any questions off the top so that we can then process that and answer them either during the talk right now or at the end? Yes, ma'am. Have you received death threats? <laughs> you, yours would be the first death threat <laughs> that we've received. No. We, uh, we've received death threats, i.e. we would like to not hear you anymore. Look. Uh, Death threats? No, actually. You know, what's interesting is, uh, given how irreverent uh, we are, and you'll see some of that coming up, we haven't really received to our faces or to our inboxes that much uh, negative feedback. In fact, uh, the only negative feedback I think we ever received in an email was after we did our very first episode about breaking the fast on Yom Kippur, uh, which we'll show you shortly. A rabbi wrote us to say that we should not be showing this stuff but then he wrote, Gemar Chatimatova. <laughs> no joke. So it was almost like professional advice rather than berating us, really. Yes. yes. Um, um, but that, that's pretty much it. I mean, no. to be perfectly honest with you, we're a little bit surprised by how much we are getting away yes, with, yeah. really. We hope so. that we'll get at least one walkout. Damn it, if any of you walk out, I'm just, I can't stop now, I'm sorry. Shame on you, Jamie. We have. <laughs> we love we it. It's a tribute, he knows, it's a cover. Yeah, yeah. We asked him first, he said it's okay. Um, we did an episode in the first season, we're not gonna show today, but where we, we, we had a couple guys playing Hasidic Jews. They weren't really Hasidic Jews, they're actually two brothers who uh, were friendly with, who worked on the show with us. And we had very realist, not realistic, we had authentic costumes we were shooting in Outremont, in Montreal, we'll get to that in one second, so in the neighborhood that they live in. And we thought this was, you know, we would be able to sort of pass it off. But as we started shooting, this is five years ago when we shot the first season, uh, you know, the minivans started circling. You know what I mean? Around the blocks. And we were getting these kind of dirty looks out the window and they were slowing down. And these guys, you know, the black hats, uh, Hasidim, Payas, the hardcore guys. And they were looking at us and we turned to each other and said they could shut this down right now. Like if they call the local Jewish security and, and they have their own security, in this neighborhood of Outremont, they could just shut it down. I mean, what are they gonna say? What are they doing? And they scowled at us and rolled down and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, the guys, after circling for an hour, stops, rolls down the window and said, you guys, you blew it. Wrong socks. <laughs> Sorry, what? They're wearing weekday socks for Shabbos. It's, a, I mean, whatever. It was a, so they weren't mad at us. So no, no death threats, not even from the Hasidim. And not yet from the Chabadniks who walked out of our show last night. Okay. We when have been asked to rap tefillin quite a few times in our experiences, yes. and we'll get, we'll yes. get to that as well. Uh, but no, no, no death threats per se. Okay. Um, so the beginnings of our story, as we were mentioning last night, uh, begins uh, in Montreal. 
And uh, as you'll see from our show, or as you already know from our show, Montreal is like the third character in our show. It's very emblematic of our show. And in some ways, Montreal's a pretty unique Jewish community, but in other ways, it encapsulates a lot about all sorts of other Jewish communities all in one place. Uh, I understand some of us are originally from Montreal. Are there any other uh, also? Yeah, okay, we have a little, not, not minion level, no. but uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think there's someone here from Toronto. Yeah, okay, get out. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll, <laughs> We're all friends once we're south of the border, okay? Uh, so, so, oh, also Montreal or a question? Winnipeg. Oh, Winnipeg, okay, you're okay. Packers are okay. Winterpeg. Yeah, yeah, Winterpeg. Um, yeah, so we, we grew up in Jewish Montreal, and Jewish Montreal does have its Hasidic contingent for sure, but certainly when we were growing up there in the 80s, 90s? 80s, um, we, uh, you know, it was a very traditional community. It wasn't necessarily from, but traditional. And there were certain things that we absolutely, I mean, not fast, you know, Kipper would be excommunicative, yeah. you know? But uh, milk and meat, yeah, that's fine. Right. You know, like, there were certain things right that had to be preserved in a sort of unwritten rule type of way. Well, for example, I'll just throw one in. For example, we, my family, maybe you can relate to this, tell us if you, this you know, works for you guys. In our family, we would have Chinese food almost every Sunday night, yes. and my mother insisted that we could not bring home the leftover you know, sh kung, kung Pao shrimp. We could bring home everything else. <laughs> They'll have the shrimp, but you can't bring it home. You know what I'm talking about, right? So from an early age, we had these things of, you know, we had, I had two sets of plates. My family was not religious. We are from, this is sort of the, the most typical, what, what Ellie's describing, our childhood in Cote St. Luke, which is this uh, suburb of Montreal, which was, uh, when we were growing up there, I think called the densest Jewish population per capita in the world. Was it not outside of Israel? I think so, yeah. It was, uh, you know, for, for so uh, maybe outside of Israel and New York. Um, but it was not uncommon in our growing up to have milk and meat dishes, but also tray plates. And if you were more observant, tray plates for Passover. Okay, go ahead. Uh, it's all true. It's all true. And yes, this was very formative. This was the beginnings of our finding the narishkeit, or silliness, or neurosis, in how we negotiate and improvise our own rules around Judaism. Uh, in the modern day. So Jamie and I grow up in Cote St. Luke, and of course it's hilarious because it's the most Jewish place literally like in the world outside of Israel, but literally means the embankment of St. Luke, obviously. And, uh, and we end up uh, going to uh, uh, Jewish day school and Jewish high school. And the Jewish high school that we go to is called Bialik High School, uh, named after Chaim Nachman Bialik, the famous uh, poet who, who wrote in both Yiddish and Hebrew, which was appropriate because we actually learned both Yiddish and Hebrew, as well as French, uh, in our high school experience. And I think that was also a bit of the formative part of our Yid life crisis because we were learning both a secular labor Yiddish while also having a Zionistic Hebrew education and participating in the I Love Israel contest on many occasions. And what we fast forward to today, and we found in our travels in the past five years, there's a big distinction. Those on the Yiddish side tend not to be so Zionist. And, uh, and those on the Hebrew side, well, do tend to be, unless they're from Tel Aviv, and we'll get there in a moment. Yes? Are they still teaching Yiddish in your high school? Excellent question. They're not, except for the fact that they've turned that class. It used to be five full years of Yiddish. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. 
and they turned it into like one elective that's Jewish culture in which the only thing that's Yiddish is they show our videos. And, and pay us no royalties. Yeah. So very Jewish of them. Yes. And, and also a shande. That was Yiddish. That's a shame. Uh, sure, yes? That, that's a great question. And it's, it's re- and, it's, and it's relevant to the... Uh, what? Uh, repeat questions. Oh, for repeat the, the question. The yeah. people at home in their boxer shorts. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we were asked uh, about to talk about how our families got to Montreal, which is an excellent question, and I think really informs actually a lot of our web series. I'll, I'll speak for my family, and then you can speak on behalf of the Elman clan. But uh, we came uh, on my uh, paternal side in the 30s, um, so, and it's different, a little bit more different in, uh, in Canada than it was in America. We had a bit of a, in some cases, an older wave of migration, uh, particularly from Polish Jews. So my family's entirely from Poland, Warsaw adjacent, as I like to say. And so on my father's side, they came pre-war. My mother's side actually had a wild story where they escaped the war and went around through Russia and Siberian work camps through various uh, friendly Muslim populations back to Poland, to uh, Israeli refugee camps, and then ultimately were sponsored to come to Montreal. And what I'll say just quickly about Montreal, just to tie in, is that, so you understand, Montreal used to basically be the capital of Canada. Um, and what happened, that was where all the, the business, the commerce, everything convened in Montreal. Toronto, which is now the big city, was uh, you know, 50% the size in terms of its overall volume. And what happened was that there was a French-Canadian secessionist movement in the 70s uh, that really threatened business and a lot of the English speakers there. And many of the English speakers, a lot of which were Jews, decided to move to places like here uh, or Toronto. And that's really a large part of how Toronto became a more popular place. But Montreal was the place to go. And some people came to Montreal and they used that as their gateway to be able to get to New York later or whatnot. But Montreal was a real destination. And Montreal changed after the French secessionist movement. And there's a part of that that we explore in our show in terms of thinking about a heyday of what Montreal used to be and the sort of arrested development of what the city is uh, juxtaposed against our own arrested development <laughs> as schleppers. <laughs> but what about your... Professional uh, schleppers. Uh, well, a couple of things. My family, th- uh, uh, three quarters of my grandparents uh, were born in Russia and uh, Europe. My maternal grandmother was born in Winnipeg. Um, so where there was a big uh, Jewish community, and there still is some. We were there not too long ago. Uh, but one thing, I guess, of relevance is not that a lot of our generation are uh, the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. Uh, there's a big Holocaust. And Montreal was, maybe still is, the biggest, or one of the biggest Holocaust survivor communities post-war, uh, including, you know, uh, refugees and uh, people like Ellie's family, um, but also then in the 40s and 50s, the, uh, the Hasidim who came. And that's really when the Hasidim came to Montreal in the 40s and 50s. But uh, we mention it because Montreal was at one point, believe it or not, uh, it had the third most popular spoken language in Montreal was Yiddish, 100 years ago. Signs lining the street, um, he I guess it would be like Spanish here now. Uh, like if okay. it was... Or Mandarin. I don't know what happened. No, because... Spandarin? No? Okay, Spanish. Okay. No, we heard some beautiful 
Hebrew spoken by the Chinese students at TVT yesterday. <laughs> the way they land. That <laughs> is so Yid Life Crisis, we don't even have time to, our brains are still exploding. But, Rabbi, um, you better watch your back because yeah. there is someone in the wings yeah, right, yeah, exactly. waiting to take your job. Um, well, anyway, so Yiddish, and, and going back to what he said about our high school, so uh, when we were there 20 years ago, it was not uncommon to be in class and switching accidentally in your brain between uh, Hebrew, Yiddish, and French. We learned uh, geography, math, whatever, in Canadian history, whatever it was, in French, and we took French classes. And Montreal, of course, is a French city. Something else he was saying about um, the, uh, the exodus of the, of the Anglophones, of the English speakers of Quebec in the 1970s, that was also laced with a little bit of anti-Semitism that the Jewish community had felt from the Quebecois society. Would you not say that? Uh, sure. I mean, um, in many ways, the reason that the Jews in Montreal spoke English and continue to, uh, or at least this is the theory as it goes, is that the French were Catholics. And when Jews, like my father, he tells a story of he had as a child something in his eye and he needed to go to a doctor and my grandmother took him, but they wouldn't take people at the Catholic places, uh, which is part of the reason why we created our own Jewish general hospital, which maybe we'll get to. We did a whole episode about that. But the Protestant system, which was more white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, did take the Jews in. And that was a critical change that existed, let's say, be, you know, between the, the 20s and the 40s that, that affected effectively our choice of why we're native English speakers and not French speakers. Uh, okay, sure. Scholar. Um, what do you think of the current resurgence of the Quebecois? Yeah, good. he's asking about the current resurgence of the, uh, the Quebecois, the, uh, the separatist, the nationalist Quebecois party. I don't know enough about it. I live in LA. He lives in Montreal still. It'll take us too far off track to answer that question other than my just saying it's bad news. <laughs> I mean, uh, just a, a quick note on that. So there's been a bit of a resurgence in this secessionist movement, but it's a little bit masked. It's not described as much as a explicit separatist movement, but it's a movement around identity politics, which of course we see in America as well. And people have taken advantage of that element as well. And one of the main topics that's going on just so you're aware, because a lot of this news does not travel down south, there's a bill that's been instituted called Bill 21, which is that for government employees, which includes teachers and professionals, they cannot wear overt religious symbols. In other words, you cannot, if you work for the government, you can't wear a yarmulke or a hijab. And the interesting byproduct of this is the interesting alliance that's created between the Jewish and Muslim community actually in, in Montreal and in Quebec in and around. Basically, it's hard because on one hand, there might be some valid secular points around that. On the other hand, who's voted for this? It's all the people outside of Montreal living out in the rural areas that really have never met a Jew or a Muslim before. And the sense is that they've been whipped up into a frenzy by polarized politics to get them in. So it's a, it's a touchy subject. Sorry, you were gonna mention. Yes, great film. Jesus of Montreal, Denny Arcand. Okay, she was asking if we've seen the film uh, Jesus of Montreal, Denny Arcand. Great movie. Uh, we recommend you see it. Uh, yes? Uh, is there a sizable Muslim community in Montreal? He's asking if there's a sizable Muslim community in Montreal. 
I mean, all I can gauge is from my Uber experiences, so I would say very much so. That's true. Every Uber driver is named Mahmoud, is it not? Is it is Mahmoud. Is Mohammed, yeah. There's a lot of Abdels. There was actually an Eli the other day, yeah. the Lebanese. There was? Oh, okay. Um, no, it, it is growing. I mean, first of all, uh, as our newly re-elected Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberals have put in place there, first of all, have been a lot of refugees that have been ingested into the country, and they are typically are from Syria or around the area. I mean, it's a very pro-immigration stance. I told is... you not to mention immigrants. Oh, yes. sorry, sorry. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, it's growing. I mean, I don't know the demographic numbers, but, I mean, it's certainly growing far greater than the Jewish community. Yeah. But is to, in Canada. Uh, to try and keep us on track of the most important subject here, which is ourselves. <laughs> no? I can't do that. Thank you. Uh, uh, was, uh, I, I, had, I had a flow, which is that to, just to, about the, the, the quiet revolution, they call it, the Révolution Tranquille, 1970, when the... Um, the Quebec separatist movement wrote, basically this ended hundreds of years of Catholic oppression of the French Canadian people in Quebec. And what essentially happened after that moment, we were born in the uh, mid to late 70s, but what happened after that moment was the, in particular the city of Montreal, which is by far the most dense area city in the province of Quebec, became incredibly secular. And in fact, that whole sort of generation came uh, became sort of anti-religious, which I guess this Bill 21 is sort of the descendant, in a way, of, of that secular movement. And so the province of Quebec sort of has this weird tension between Catholicism and secularism, and in particular in the city of Montreal. For example, the stats on uh, marriage on the island of Montreal, French Canadians don't really get married. They started just cohabitating. It became like civil law or common law marriage or something, right? Because it was a rejection of the church and religion. And interestingly, this does tie into the very first episode that we want to show you. We'll see if we, if we get to it or not. Um, because um, as this increase in um, secularism happened, um, there were still obviously flourishing parts of other minority communities, including the Jewish community, which started to do very well for themselves, ourselves, in the suburbs where we grew up, in Cote St. Luke, and Hampstead, and Westmount, and we started doing well. But we, th this community, again, was very traditional, not religious. There are a number of Jewish day schools. We went to this high school we mentioned, Bialik, which it was the Zionist-leaning, sort of leftist-leaning, um, versus the other school, Herzliya, which was more uh, where they taught. You went to Herzliya, okay, Herzliya grad here. They taught more ta Torah and Talmud. It was not so Yiddishist. I would say I myself did not understand where Yiddish even fit into the Jewish story when we were teaching it. We were just learning to read and write it. We read Tevye der Melchaker, Tevye the Milkman, the original Shalom Aleichem story that uh, the Fiddler is based on. I didn't understand the whole thing in... in Context, but one thing we did eventually come to know. It, am I jumping ahead? I just don't want to lose time. To no, show. No. Okay, fine. One thing that did that did not sit with us um, was um, well. I'm jumping ahead now. Twenty years in the story. We can jump back and tell you more about the origins of the show if you want. In our sort of background that led to this, but one thing that was definitely on our on our minds and radar at the time was there was sort of this this continued tension between the Hasidic community and uh, the secular French-Canadian Quebecois society in the heart of the city, an area called Mile End or Outremont, 
the Plateau. This is where all the famous bagel bakeries are, you know, St. Vieta and Fairmont. This is where Schwartz's and Lester's and Chesky's and all the places are. Heavily ultra-Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, unlike in some communities where they're kind of out in Ruchesville. That's also Yiddish, I think, right? Um, this is in the heart of the city, and there became some escalating tensions as that Hasidic community was growing, as you could imagine. They have lots of kids. And then they're right there in this neighborhood with the French Canadians. And so what do I mean by tension? Okay, there wasn't necessarily five, six years ago that I remember threats of violence per se. In fact, we can get to this eventually if we want to go there. Things seem worse to us now. But five, six years ago, when we were starting to come up with the idea for the show, an example of the tension would be there's a YMCA in the heart of this neighborhood on the corner of Park Avenue and, uh, you know, Bernard there, St. Vieter, and right in the heart of everything, and they have a beautiful gym there, and the Hasidim have, you know, their little shtibbles and their community right there along the same street, and they basically have to walk past the YMCA, and there's this, like, beautiful window looking out onto the street where the women are jogging in their Lululemons. <laughs> Damn it, I told you no Excellent jogging. Excellent demonstration, Jamie. If you're at home, Jamie just tried running on the spot. Okay, <laughs> thank you, and I'm tired. And, uh, and there was sort of an uproar in the uh, Hasidic community. They wanted to basically frost the windows or make them put the, the blinds down. And then, of course, the people at the gym were saying, like, that's not our problem, you know, that's why you see them, you know. And it's stuff like that. It's stuff like this. this so explain how they resolved it, the very civil response. The Hasidim decided they would pay for the frosting. And that's how so it they, got resolved. So they sit in frost at the window. So this was, sure, yes? Yes? The most important question of the day yeah. is yeah. St. Vieter or Fairmount? Oh, we, we can't answer that question yet. In fact, Jews don't answer that question. We ask, he was asking to St. Vieter or Fairmount, our, fav, our favorite bagels. We do a whole episode about that. It's in our first season. You should watch it. Um, and we wanted to talk about that in our first season and the fact that Jews take the conversation of bagels in Montreal seriously as Talmud which we do, so we made a whole episode sort of making parallels between um, the, the bagels and, and Talmud. Um, but in fact, this first time, I was going to try and segue into the thing, right? Do, do your best. Okay, good. So, but, but in fact, what, what happened, oh, well, you were going to talk about the grant, too. Do you want to just tell them why this, okay. Eh, doesn't matter. Do your thing. Okay. I'll find a way to get okay, back Okay, basically, this. he called me, we had been friends uh, for about the last 15 years. We actually met in L.A., not in Montreal. I'm four years older than him. We went to the same high school. I knew about his work. He knew about my previous work. I moved to L.A. 20 years ago to be an actor. I've had a good run. I dropped some of my credits last night. Mad Men, House MD, blah, blah, blah. But the big one for me was Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is when I decided I wanted to do more Jewish comedy and that sort of style of thing because that's what we grew up on. And it was, so we have, uh, as we said last night in our show, to us, Seinfeld is Talmud. And the Jewish comedy, we believe... And American comedy that we grew up on is, in fact, uh, how we learned about Jewishness and Jewish culture and Judaism. And, um, you know, Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and, um, you know, Billy Crystal and Joan Rivers. And now, you know, we are descendants of them. And this show is a descendant of, of those shows. But for us, we had this theory that the Jewish comedy that we grew up on was basically based in Yiddish comedy. It was Yiddish comedy being done in English. And this Seinfeldian style of, of, you know, deli talk between Jerry and George and, you know, or Harry and Sally, that style is all based in vaudevillian Yiddish shtetl comedy. 
And then we heard that we have a nice Jewish community, which you mentioned too. We have our federation, and federation put out a call for uh, uh, applications for an artist's grant for Jews, young, youngish Jews maybe, to put a next-gen Jews. That, that means fifty and up. fifty, right? <laughs> Thirty to fifty next-gen Jews um, to come up with something artistic, culturally Jewish, and they were going to give a little grant. And he called me and said, "Let's." Uh, let's do something together, and let's, let's do it in Yiddish. And the original idea that we had was, in fact, let's prove the point of how Yiddish Seinfeld is by recreating scenes from Seinfeld. I'll play Jerry, he'll play George, and we'll do them in Yiddish. And we'll show how well it works. And as we started talking about it, we realized that that component of Seinfeld being in Yiddish and the idea of American Jewish comedy really being from this Yiddish tradition, we realized was only one component of what we wanted to do. And in fact, we had other things we wanted to discuss about our Jewish experience, like why is it okay to eat Chinese drek treif every Sunday night and I can bring home the, the, the mushu chicken but not the kung pao shrimp. And we started to make fun of these things. And also we got to a certain age in our lives where things were happening that were real. Even though we were arrested development late bloomers, we were at, an issue, we were at a time in our lives when it's, should we marry, do we have to marry Jewish women? Is that a, is that a thing? Because then our kids aren't Jewish. And if you have kids and they are Jewish, if it's a boy, do you circumcise? Now, that is something that for some people is like so dogmatic. You could never imagine not circumcising. That's like such a... a, a a taboo of Judaism to not do it, but it drove me nuts. Because I was like, I know Jewish people who don't keep any of the mitzvot, who don't, keep, who don't do anything, but they'll freak out about this barbaric, ancient tradition of mutilating our genitals when we don't even have a say in it. We started having conversations like this, you know? And then if you do give them a circumcision, then you give them a bar or bat mitzvah. And then you put them into Jewish education. These are the questions that mid-30s, some of you probably can relate to if you have kids that you had to answer at this stage in our life. This was the Jewish identity crisis that we faced. And we also wanted to address this concept that we thought was very unique to us, which was Jewish Montreal. And how we grew up in this, you know, extremely insulated Jewish community, then left that community, went out into the world, realized we had been incredibly sheltered in this ghetto, shtetl-like environment. Now we're secularists, hedonists, heathenists, and just look at him. This is a heathen if you ever saw him. <laughs> and, um, and, we, and, you know, how are we going to square these Jewish traditions? What are we going to preserve? Which babies shall we keep versus which bathwater shall we flush? So this became the discussion at the beginning of Yid Life Crisis. And then one more layer that we added to it, which is the Montrealness of it. And that was just where, for us, Yiddish is part of our Jewish experience. But so is French. We learned French from Moroccan Jewish women in our school, Madame Ben Yair and Madame, you know, and so, and from Madame Desrochers, the Quebecois French Canadian. So that mishmash of languages and cultures was also part of the DNA. And did you have some, or should I just go right into the episode at this point? And you'll tell, okay. I think it's episode time. Okay, here we'll we go. So home. basically, I'm building up to, as you could tell, we're going to show you the very first episode we ever did. The last thing you have to know to understand this first episode is we said, okay, we, we applied for this grant. We said, we'll do it in Yiddish. We'll write four episodes, five minutes each. They're all online. We hope that you'll go watch them if you haven't afterwards. Subscribe or have your kids or grandkids show you how to subscribe. <laughs> I, sorry. 
It's ageism. Damn it, Ellie, that's ageist. Okay, I'll shut my can't stop now. Um, and, uh, and the other thing was this idea of the tension between the French-Canadian community and the Jewish community. And this was something that really weighed on us because one of the things in the grant that we got from the Jewish Federation, this artist grant, was do something that in some way involves rapprochement, bridge building, reaching out to the non-Jewish community. And to us, that meant the French-Canadian community. And so what we did was we set our little show in the very neighborhood where the Hasidim are, where the French Canadians hear Yiddish spoken on the street daily by people who will generally not look at them or speak to them, or at least I thought at the time. And we're going to go speak Yiddish, and we're going to go speak it in a very trefidica restaurant <laughs> so that the French Canadians can see. I mean, I thought I was trying to make a point. I need the French Canadians to know, Ellie, that we are Jews too. And damn it, we're atheists, but we're so Jewish. And we want them to know that we're Jewish and that those black hats are not the only versions of Jews. And we're not all extremists, but we're also kind of extremists about other things like bagels. And how are we going to get this all into one thing? We're going to show you the first episode now. The, only, the last thing you need to know about it is where it takes place because, and this I guess ties into the story and to what we were saying last night too, we didn't know this would ever get seen. We were going to put it online. It was for us. It was a passion project. It was our way of working through our Jewish identity crisis, a way of getting it off our hairy Ashkenazic chests. And we didn't know anyone was going to see it. So it was really made more for us, our friends, our community. So we made it very Montreal-specific. So the one thing you need to know here is it takes place in a restaurant called La Banquise in the heart of Montreal in this French-Canadian Hasidic neighborhood called The Plateau. And it takes place at a restaurant called La Banquise, which is famous since 1964 for serving 24 hours a day a dish called poutine. Do you know what poutine is? For those of you that don't know, we will explain now. It is French fries with cheese curds on top, which I describe as like mozzarella droppings, <laughs> and gravy, a beef-based gravy. Got it? French fries, cheese curds, Beef-based gravy, season one, episode one, the premiere of Yid Life Crisis. Here it is. Bis gerecht. Mm -hmm. 
Ich nehme das Lactate-Pill, tue mir deine schlechte Eigen im Sonne, was sehr nahe zum Sonne ist, Schreuel. Fach zusammen mit meinem Moral. Bechheim. Mein Lactate. <lacht> Meinst du, das ist ein Gelächter, hä? Gefühl mir ein Beheime, was trinkt die Milch von einem anderen Beheime? No, noch einmal wir sind nicht gebeut nee, von Lactose. Ja, ja, ja. Und für was? Preußen der Jungen von Inzest. Ja, ja, Inzest. ja. Zum Beispiel nehmen die Jeden, Chinesisch und die Scottish. Seinen als klug, talentiert, übergerecht mit dem Geld, können einhalten, gerne werden möglich, aber mit einem Lactate. Gekacken. Ja. Sagst du äh, zu der Scheiße zwischen Inzest, Wissenschaft und dir Flores? Er wurde. Kies! Excuse-moi, Pardon? La sauce à côté. Merci beaucoup. La sauce de la poutine à côté de la poutine? C'est ça que j'ai dit. C'est pas une poutine, ça. Ah! Ce sont les mêmes ingrédients. C'est juste que c'est un peu séparé. Dans le fond, c'est une poutine, ça. Okay. On est à la banquise, hein? Donc, oui. on va vous faire une poutine tout ensemble. C'est correct, ça? OK. Euh, Avez-vous un dictionnaire, peut-être? C'est pas dans le petit Robert, ça. Euh, ben oui, oui, pas de problème. Oui, ça va être super. Un, un extra de 50 cents pour la sauce. Ben, ça ne et... fait rien, il va payer. OK. 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 Tabarnak, man. Was willst du von meinem Leben? Ich bin da fest, du willst essen, aber du willst es nicht in der Milch, in der Fläche. Ich will nicht in der Milch, in der Fläche. Ich will nicht 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 in der Fläche. Seinen etliche Sachen, was er jeden Tipp nicht. Verstehst? Merci. Ein bisschen Lieblingsbärmes. Nein, ich kann nicht Du verschämst mir wie ein Montrealer und wie ein Jid. Alright, folks, that was the beginning, the bracious uh, of it all. Oh, I thought we were going to see some of the. The beautiful beauty oh, food shot. No, it's fine. In reference to Cavendish Mall, which we actually end up... That was our mall growing up, was the Cavendish Mall. Uh, I'm sure you have the equivalent mall. Every Jewish community has its equivalent mall. Uh, and uh, it's in our very latest episode. We referenced it in the beginning. Just curious, how much time do we have as we've... Uh... Okay. They're here. Take a quick, quick question in the back. If 
if we have children, will we, uh, we don't have children, so I'll just rephrase. Do we think that we will speak to our potential future children in Yiddish? That's a very good question. Um, I don't think either of us have given it that much thought, but uh, I have seen my sister, who also speaks Yiddish, her first language was actually Yiddish, uh, has three kids, and I think she's going to go down that path. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that I will. I mean, it's not too difficult. I'm sure I'll be swearing in Yiddish in the child's vicinity, so for sure he or she's going to pick that up. Uh, at any point. But I think that uh, it would be important for posterity purposes. And, and here's the thing. I don't think hanging on to the Yiddish has any religious value, obviously. But I think from a cultural standpoint value and from a historical understanding value, it's interesting. And the beauty of the Yiddish language is, you know, I always used to think it's the most Jewish, most Jewish language. But it's not biblical. It's not at all biblical. As a matter of fact, it's mostly German. So really what the Yiddish language encapsulates in it is our diasporatic journey of leaving an exodus through to Roman lands and ultimately ending up in Germany and picking up German and conversing in the vernacular of a totally other world. And then we spend about a thousand years living in that world and now that's brought us to North America. And you can find that as you study the Yiddish, it's a combination of the Germanic with some Slavic, certainly with many Hebrew words peppered in. And now as we bring it to North America, as you'll see from the Hasidic community that really does use it in vivo, they, think, they do things like you know, a car or a key or the, mo the mobile phone. You know? So they're also adding to the vernacular, and that's the beauty of the language. It just accumulates, it snowballs, and it picks up everywhere that we've gone as Jews. Quickie. Whose bells is that? Whose bells? A version of the song Bells? Yeah. It's Rock the Bells. Uh, so that, that, the theme song that we used for our show, we found, it, it actually, I suppose, ties into a, the larger picture of what we do. There's another guy in Montreal who's about our age. His name is Josh Dolgan. In fact, we're maybe going to show an episode uh, with him in a minute. Uh, he goes by the name So Called, and what he does is he takes old Yiddish recordings from like the 20s, 30s, 40s, and remixes them in a modern hip-hop rap version. So that version that we used here, uh, it's a song called Bells, Mein Städtele Bells, right? My hometown of Bells, my Städtel Bells, um, sung by Theodore Bekel, Alvashalom, and remixed by So Called, and that became the perfect theme song for our show because it's all about, you know, your hometown and our show is, of course, a tribute to our hometown. And you also saw that in our version of Yiddish here, because we always get questions about the Yiddish, I mean, it depends how uh, familiar you are with Yiddish, the dialects, the idioms and all that stuff, but the big criticisms that we get leveled at us have to do usually with our Yiddish. And the thing is, they don't understand what we were trying to do, maybe, because really, we know we're not speaking Galicianer or Litvak or Polish or Yiddish. We're speaking Montrealer which is a combination of franglais, that's French and anglais, anglais, franglais, French and English, fringlish, and yinglish. So you see here, we switch into French at one point, right? He starts speaking in French. And we also play with the translation. Sometimes people think maybe we, ah, oh, they didn't understand how to translate. No, in fact, we write the show in English because 99.9% .9 of our audience is going to watch it in English, and we write it with the intention of it being read on screen. But we also write it with certain idioms in French and Yiddish that we know we're going to use when we speak, when we do the dialogue, and that it's going to resonate for people in a different way if they understand how we did the translation. So there's jokes in there if you're Montrealers, there's jokes if you also speak Yiddish, there's jokes if you speak Yiddish and French, 
And there's all that sort of layers we're playing with the language. Again, like the way we grew up and our tribute to that sort of thing. And, yes? So, right. So the question is, we're, we're trying to, I guess, uh, to paraphrase, revive a sort of dying language in Yiddish. Uh, is anyone or should anyone be doing the same for Ladino or other, let's say, Judeo hyphen languages? Uh, well, first of all, just in terms of the, the dying thing, because that tends to be a contentious thing in the Yiddish community. A lot of the Yiddishists are offended by the term that the language is dying. The truth of the matter is that the numbers have dwindled partially because of the Shoah and partially, in fact, because of integration into an in English-speaking world in general and also partially because of the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language in Eliezer Ben Yehuda's project largely cannibalized the Yiddish world. Um, however, one thing you have to keep in mind is that if you look at the demographics, the Hasidic, the Hasidic community, like in Montreal, I think it's 5.2 kids per family, they're learning Yiddish. They're speaking in Yiddish. So they're actually growing at a rate that's greater than the rest of the Jewish population, actually speaking a native Yiddish. So I'm sure if you looked at the, the fused together data, Yiddish is declining, but not in the same ways as you might normally think. As for the Ladino uh, question, uh, look, uh, for the same reasons that I said, I think it's valuable to preserve Yiddish as a cultural marker, uh, sort of like uh, rings in a tree where you see what the history is. It's the same thing for Ladino and Judeo-Arabic and all these other uh, fusion languages, you might say. I mean, I think it's very interesting. One thing that's quite interesting, I don't really know too much about it, and it's worth looking up, but I know that the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, I know at least on their podcast they've referenced, they've had Ladino experts on their podcast, and it's interesting to see in the Jewish community alliances between those that are hanging on to specific languages that are no longer used as much uh, because they're obviously small, generally academic communities that are focusing on that. But I think it's very fascinating. I mean, we're obviously in a very niche world, but I think the Ladino, studying Ladino is, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think of the Jews that were speaking Ladino, uh, various uh, strands of Judeo-Arabic as well. As a matter of fact, just as a, a tangent, since that's all we're doing today anyways, um, we, uh, yesterday we just spoke to an Arabic translator about translating our top episodes into Arabic. And there's a whole, not only do we have to figure out, well, there's various dialects of Arab in the Arab world, but also we have to figure out what's of the Judeo-Arabic and of the Jewish communities that lived in the Arab world, the diaspora, what did they speak and how would they also react to it too? Right. So and can we get some of their idioms peppered into it uh, right. as well? And yes? You're very concerned about us getting killed, I can see. Um, Are you one of the people who is going to come after us for this? She's with Black Cube. What's your problem? Um, Do you even speak Arabic? Okay. Uh, the, the, the question was basically because one might say that there are certain anti-Semitic uh, leverageable tropes in our work, if we go into Arabic, are we concerned that this is actually something that might be misrepresented uh, and actually maybe exacerbate 
anti-Semitic feelings. It's a, it's a very valid point. I mean, it's something to look at, and I think part of it, it's not just the translation. We actually have to work with members of the Arabic community to understand how is this getting disseminated. One of the first things we might do, I mean, it, it hasn't happened yet, but there is a Muslim Awareness Week in Montreal. As I was mentioning earlier, there is this fresh new Muslim-Jewish alliance that's developing in the province of Quebec. So we're going to use that as the opportunity to start having conversations with people. I, I, sorry. Oh, I was going to follow up with that. Um, because, uh, you know, again, the, the part of the DNA of Yid Life Crisis was this grant. It just so happens that's how it started. We wanted to work together. We needed a little bit of gelt. We got a grant. In the grant, it said, have rapprochement. If it hadn't said that, I don't know what we would have necessarily done. But that became truly part of the DNA of the show. So this almost sort of goes to the Ladino question, and it goes to the Yiddish, and it also goes to the Arabic in a way. Part of it is just we believe that the very act of translating it into Arabic and saying this is comedy about universal truths about religious dogma in the modern secular world. We are Jews, we love Jewish culture, we hate the dogma, we don't have to believe in all of it, and it's okay, and it's okay if you don't either. And by the way, there are equivalent comedians of us doing this in Arabic on the other side of the world that we don't know about. But we've been to conferences. We went to a conference in Jerusalem called Comedy for Change, where they invited comedians, writers, producers, but in the comedy world, to a conference at the Cinematheque in Jerusalem. Beautiful building. You ever been there, the Cinematheque? Yeah, it's this great building in Jerusalem where we presented our work, including this episode that we just showed you, along with a panel of other Jews, non-Jews, and Arab comedians from all over the place. There was a guy who showed us a pilot of his show that was about a bunch of bumbling Palestinian terrorists who accidentally blew themselves up in their apartment, like way further than anything that we've done, okay? Let alone the fact that the Israelis themselves make the most, if we, I honestly believe, I don't know you people, okay, but if you saw what the Israelis are doing in comedy, jokes about Eichmann, you wouldn't believe what's going on there. They need it. It's part of the Jewish mechanism of survival, of course, right? And uh, one more point on the language I wanted to say, because you know the Yiddishists get very caught up in the fact that we made this Yiddish show. But as we've now explained to you, since Ari, you know, graciously invited us here to explain ourselves a little bit, to us the Yiddish language component is only one part of it, and it really contains more the Yiddish kite and various concepts about Judaism we were hitting. A quick anecdote around that. When we shot this episode of uh, this one we just showed you, Breaking the Fast, part of this idea of rapprochement, of reaching out to the French-Canadian community, we used a French-Canadian crew. And they actually were, were pretty uh, purely in Quebecois. They weren't really English speakers. One guy in particular, Normand, our camera assistant. And we shot this scene that you just saw before we shot it this way in English. This was our first day of shooting, our first morning of shooting Yid Life five years ago. We said, let's shoot it in English first. We think it's going to work better in Yiddish, but let's just do it in English as a backup. We didn't know exactly what the show was going to be yet. We performed it in English. It went okay. We went, okay, now let's do it in Yiddish. And we did it in Yiddish, and everybody was laughing. The crew was laughing. I, we turned to Normand. We said, Normand. We asked him in French. You don't speak English, but you didn't really laugh much when you were, when you were watching us do that. You definitely did not read the script in Yiddish. What's so funny? And he answered us in French, oh, it just sounds like Seinfeld. I don't even know what the hell you guys are saying. <laughs> it's hilarious. He didn't understand a word of it, okay? So just something about the idea of the flow and the... Well, yeah, okay. So, 
Okay, all right, good. Yeah, we're going to show another clip, okay? Yeah, uh, I guess in terms of the introduction of this, this is actually from our second uh, season, uh, where we started to dabble into some other topics. And in fact, it's, Jamie was mentioning that we went to Jerusalem, and when we went to Jerusalem and were invited to go there, we actually started doing our documentary work. We'd never spent a second in our lives doing documentaries, but we said, these communities are so interesting, why don't we get a guy with a camera and we'll follow us? And so... In our adventures exploring Jewish communities, which is called our Global Shtetl series, which you can find on yidlefcrisis.com, uh, we ended up at the Pride Parade in Tel Aviv. I'm not sure if any of you have heard about it, seen it, It's a small it, gay pride parade. Dressed up for it or undressed for it. But uh, basically, there's, it's the largest gay pride parade in the Middle East. It's 200,000. Did you know that? 200,000 naked people are walking along Tel Aviv. But the beauty and the, the Yidlife Chrysisian thing about it was this juxtaposition of the Chabadniks wrapping leather tefillin while the various party, partiers walk by dressed in leather thongs. And we thought there was something beautiful and comedic in that. And so we decided to build an episode around uh, that germ of an idea and then threw onto it all the other things that were percolating in our mind, namely certain things about academics, uh, the Jewish state of things in academics and on campus, uh, and at the time we were making this also, Pesach was coming up, so our minds somehow fused these ideas together into the episode which we're going to show you now, uh, part of our season two, which is called Coming Out of Bondage. It's a bit racy. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. What do you ask next? Ich hab dir gesagt, sie ist schon eine Woche gereist mit Christine und sie hat mir gebeten, sie kaufen etwas erotisch. Und was? Ich hab dir selber Knebler. Das ist ein bisschen Schmutz. Guys, guys, guys. This is really adorable, but you can't eat crackers in here. <laughs> this is not a cracker. This is matzah. It's from the Jewish festival of Passover. Okay, okay, she doesn't care. Yes. Good. But something like this. That's great. Yeah. Uh, this is for his girlfriend. Sure. No, no, really, this is not for us. We really don't judge here. It's gonna look super hot. You got nothing to be ashamed of. Favos. Favos shem tu zich sein gay. Favos shem tu zich sein gay. Favos shem tu zich sein gay. Well, ich hoffe nicht lieber religie. Epikoiches! It is safe word. That's cool. You wanna try it on? No, no. Just gonna take this red thingy. Thank you. Wow! This is top quality leather. This from Alberta? Master's student in human sexuality. Hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's the master's, you're the student. I get it. She's master's, I'm her Johnson. Your matzes. Passover is a festival where Jews celebrate freedom from slavery. Meanwhile, you, clever man, continue to be a slave to these ridiculous rituals. 
eating this tasteless, constipation-inducing dreck for eight days. Meanwhile, the holiday hasn't even started yet, you masochist. Ich trainiere mein Morgenrosche. Die Matze symbolisiert das Entläufen von Redifes. Also ich schnell, als man hat nicht gehend, haben die Zeit zu warten, bis die Bräut so läuft gehen. I know that. I was in your class. I was your teacher. Mischwitz Henry. Bugsy Brownstein. Oi, le boy bay. Anyways. The whole thing is a metaphor anyway. There's no archaeological proof for the exodus. You know, it's, it's, it's the festival of spring. Look around, man. Rebirth. Renewal. Freedom, yes, but not from building pyramids, from our own personal chains of bondage. As I've been homophobia. Finish homophobic. Good, because gay is so in, it's passe. Sexual identity and orientation, they're, they're fluid. As Christina says, gender is a construct. You know, it's like cable. Why be forced to bundle channels you don't even watch? I thought the whole idea is that uh, we're born this way, that we don't have a choice. Shh, Genoi. So why would God make people lesbianish, transminic, gay, gayish, palish, trailich, beglich, etc., and then persecute them for millennia for being a sin? Doesn't make sense. I refuse to be part of that uh, ancestry. The Choldor Vador, Chayav Adam, no. It's time religion graduates the 21st century. It's a schön sight as the academia so graduate. Bis die 1960er seine noch gewinnt Fotos für jeden in der Fakultät von Medizin. Nicht alle gedenken das, aber ich darf ge, ja. Und der Fach ist graduieren, also es ist. Du hast kein nicht graduiert von der Fakultät von Medizin. Antisemiten. Du hast zu viel nicht gemacht, keine Applikation. Antisemiten! Bless you. Sorry. Need I remind you, two on three of the last presidents of this university were Jewish, and nine out of ten dentists. So, academia has evolved. So should you. Los so. Hey guys, want to paint an egg for Easter? I got all the egg I need right here. Thanks very much. Oh, hey guys, get your free condoms. What's the expiry? April 2018. Not gonna happen. Hey guys, there's a big vote coming up next week. We hope you can support us. Thank you so much. BDS, bondage, domination, sadism. What's with the kinkiness today? Diane, you were talking to everyone. Come on. Oi, Faith, head down, head hey, down, head are down. Are you Jewish? That's racial profiling. That's sorry, but he's clearly Jewish. Yes, we're Jewish. We're just not interested in whatever you're selling. Thank you. Oh, no selling, giving. Uh, free Passover matzahs. Yeah. Didn't your mother ever teach you not to take matzah from strangers? Have you guys put a tefillin today? Yes, I forgot. <laughs> well, it, it's not too late. Let's do this. And new, you? Now, why in the name of Christopher Hitchens, Oliver Shalom, would I do that? You seem very embarrassed about being a member of the tribe. Are you embarrassed to honor your parents? To care for the sick, for the ill? To sustain our planet? Yeah. That's not the problem. You see, uh, my issue is with religious dogma, frankly. So, uh, you know, you guys talk a big game, but I know that all you want to do is get me to, to, to put these weird things for what? Why, exactly? It's simple. Avos Hashem. Love. As it is written, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. For with a mighty hand did he lead us out of the land of Egypt. We lay a physical representation of God's love. What's embarrassing about love? Nothing. 
But you see, you, you guys say all that, and then you judge everyone else. Free your mind, man. Free your mind. Let, 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 me, let, me, explain, let me explain to this guy a little something here. Mendeley. Mind chef's Have you put on spillin' today? Gay base. This is right. No, this is right. Clarice, that hurts. Love hurts. Hi, me. Christina. Hey. Everything okay in there? Yeah, it's a little bit tight. You got this on a 42 regular? Let's go check. Okay, I hope you didn't lose your lunch there. I know you just ate. <laughs> We're, we're going to speed things along because uh, we did go there. We did it. Uh, we're going to speed things along because uh, we, uh, are, this is going to come to a, a conclusion very uh, soon. But uh, as you can see, we start to go into different territory, literally go into different places uh, in this second season. And uh, like we were doing in the first season involving some of the French Canadians here, we started to involve other people in it, some people in the Yiddish theater, like our friend Richard Martz, so-called the guy that did the Bells version actually is uh, one of the Hasidim there. And actually, we had a transsexual actor that was in there as well that was very on brand for the episode that we were doing. So it, we continued our exploration with that. Uh, in our third and uh, latest season, uh, we continued to go there, and we continued to go a lot further there. And for some of you that were there last night, you could see that we went into some fairly sensitive territory in and around recent uh, events in the climate and around anti-Semitism. Uh, we decided we could no longer be silent on that topic. Uh, but our season premiere uh, of the third season was actually something that uh, was a bit more gauche, uh, however, in a totally different way. Uh, as you clearly know, we are from Canada. Uh, about a year ago today, we legalized cannabis uh, recreationally uh, in Canada, and we thought that was a topic that we should weigh in on uh, as well. We have some fans in the back of that concept. And um, so we decided we would weigh in on it. In particular, we're curious, what is the Jewish opinion on that? We, we, have, certain, we have a certain relationship with various intoxicants. Uh, yayin or wine plays a certain role in uh, uh, Judaism from a ritual standpoint, from a Purim standpoint. Uh, certainly uh, whiskey uh, as well. Uh, but uh, the question is, what, uh, you know, what's the story with cannabis itself? So we decided from that to create our season one premiere. Uh, it actually fuses the story of uh, cannabis legalization with a, a festival we just experienced here, the Festival of Tabernacles, AKA Sukkot, AKA Sukkot. And so this episode that we're about to show you, uh, and then maybe we could take one or two remaining questions. This episode, uh, the last one we'll show you, is called Sue Cannabis. 
climbing? Are you you're keystoning well? It's, it's, it's an anxiety-related thing. Du bist gegangen in Home Depot? Nein, ich habe geschickt, zwei sind die Sie haben das alles zusammengestellt. Ah. Aber gib nur Kracker, Kick! Ja, ja, es ist. Äh, es ist ein Wunder. Nun, no, verwusst ist der beste Jontip. Man lebt und man esst in Dreusen in Stiebel an sieben Tagen. Es ist geistige jüdische Camping. Jüdische Camping? Es ist ein Oxymoron. Du bist ein Oxymoron. Jeden sind schon von lang bequem mit Camping. Leute, der Teuer, also haben wir gelebt 40 Jahre in der Dürre. Leute, wait, wollt das genommen auf Wochzeit zu kurz? Maximum zwei mit dem beschäftigten Teil Fluch und Tuches. Von allen, die er treiben, ist der das, was appelliert am Märzen zu Hippie-Schnelle wie dir, hä? Das ist alles wegen Wanderen, an Ebergang, das ist wegen Plating, was haben genommen die gefährlichen Seher zum heiligen Land. Noch einmal mit deiner zionistischen Propaganda. Ja, und dann wollte ein beliebter Bob Marley nicht gehabt wegen was zu singen. Hä? Und zweitens, es ist wegen Genießen von der Natur und der Geräte nicht. Ananas? Nein. Banane? Nein. Skittlach? Okay. Und drittens, es ist ein Jungtipp wegen Bedanken. Es ist jüdische Thanksgiving. Nun, das ist nicht Shalom und Liebe. Shalom und Liebe, eh? Lazy? Du hast ein paar gute Gedanken. Ja. Es Simcha bei der Natur. Ja. Gerät nicht. Ja. Jedes Jahr Thanksgiving. Ja. Und das bringt uns zum Samen Heiligsten, Mick. Ja. Schocklen die Lulaven in Heu. Gewalt. Schrach es war ein Dach, nicht war ein Puff. Lazy, lazy, lazy. Was meinst du mit Hassene Bayer bei Eich? Huh? <laughs> Und die verbrennt die Karbonis im Besenmegdisch und die Psalmen in die Feuere. Du willst dich nicht verbinden mit deiner Vergangenheit? Ich will sich nicht mit dem. Es macht Porter, meinen Sie, Korben. Sag mir, 
see what's to happen. Good is the chonis? The mitzvah is to a rice shop in Tzich for our Bakfemazones, you know? Werner Bissel Lois, a Bissel Pardongen, a Bissel Chai. A Bissel Gehör? Not even what you can see. Nemes, didn't burn the mezuzah, okay? No. Our mothers are so proud of us. Yes. All right, so you can see, we've done various forms of irreverential Jewish humor, touching on different topics uh, uh, at various points in the three seasons that we've done. Uh, and hopefully you can see certain common threads throughout our work. And hopefully you can also see the fact that I, I think in order to properly roast one's own culture, one has to have a lot of love for it and also a lot of understanding. And at the end of the day, as much as we like to make fun of our Jewish education, it is the entire basis for how we would have created something like this. And in fact, when Jamie and I got together and said, we want to do a project together and try to explore what's the common ground, what's the thing that Jamie and I do best together, 
it was the common experience of our Jewish education. Everything you're seeing is just a fictionalization of these stories coming together in our own comedic way. And in fact, I'll close it out for you here. And in fact, the first question that we got asked, do we get hate mail? Um, the answer is we've gotten you know, the sort of pushback where people say, the only reason why you guys can get away with this is because you clearly know what you're talking about and love it, and we do. And we believe in Jewish culture and Jewish continuity and in preserving the good stuff, and that's what we're trying to do. And for uh, that reason, we're very grateful to our host. Let's hear it for Ari. Okay? We're going to ask you to, uh, you could close it out if you want. Here's the final plug. Please follow us on Punimbuch. That's Facebook. Twitter. Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. We'll hang out. We have to drive back to L.A. now, but we'll hang out for a few minutes to say hi, take some Zelbies. That's Yiddish. We also brought with us on DVD uh, our only bit of merch. If you want to buy it, it's 18 bucks. This is what the old people used to call a DVD. We still use them. Uh, this is our film. It's a feature film called Judaism, A Taste of Jewish Montreal. It's a walking tour with us that tells the history of Jewish Montreal through six meals that we eat in a day from Fairmount Bagels to Walensky's to Schwartz's to a Moroccan meal in the Côte St. Luke with the Sephardis to Chesky's Babka and ending with Newish Jewish. It's 18 bucks. We'll autograph it for you if you want it. Either way, we're thrilled to be here. If you buy it from us, by the way, and then you end up getting us a gig in Orange County at your synagogue or your organization, we'll give you the 18 bucks back. Thank you so much. Zai Gesund, Dank, Merci beaucoup.